Welcome back to Multiculturalism Happens Here. I am your host, Isaac Ruelas, and I work with Visions Inc., a nonprofit established in 1984. We are a catalyst for a more equitable world where differences are valued, recognized, and utilized for the benefit of all. Our goal is to be a resource to the people that are working hard every day to bring diversity, equity, and inclusion into their workplaces, churches, governments, foundations, and schools, believing that the multiculturalism process of change can be a part of your journey and the success of a more equitable and inclusive today. In this episode, I have a conversation with Vincent Johnson, a part-time consultant with Visions and the Director of Diversity and Inclusive Excellence at the Pittsburgh School of Law. We start talking about cultural sharing, why we use it, why it's important, and the impact that it had on him at a personal level. We talk about why it's important to engage in DEI efforts. The first year of a student and some of the programs that he's working on. We get into the guidelines and feelings as messengers and how they have benefited the campus at the interpersonal and cultural level in dealing with issues. Let's get into it. Good afternoon, Isak. Hello, Vincent. Thank you for working with me. No problem. We are looking good. Excellent. All right. So thank you for joining me on this podcast, Vincent. I'm wondering if you would introduce yourself. Certainly. My name is Vincent Johnson. My current day job is Director of Equity and Inclusive Excellence at the University of Pittsburgh School of Law. I am African American. I'm over 60. I am a first-generation college graduate, first generation for my family. I'm a person who majored in economics at Harvard University graduated in 1979. I've spent a considerable amount of my professional time working in corporate environments, including 22 years with the Procter & Gamble Company. I've worked for PNC Bank. I joined the University of Pittsburgh School of Law in 2013, so it'll be seven years in July that I've been here at Pitt Law. The first five and a half years, I served in the role of Director of Administration for the law school. In the last one and a half years, I've been Director of Equity and Inclusive Excellence. I first came in contact with Visions while leading a diversity training effort at the Procter & Gamble Company in 1994, so that's 26 years now. I was responsible for creating a learning experience for a 700-person department. I put out a request for a proposal, and two entities that responded we decided to go with for the programming. One was Visions Incorporated, and one was an individual consultant named Joe Steele. And to this day, both Visions and Joe Steele collaborate to do diversity work. Yeah, I know Joe Steele. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's incredible. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing all that. And a little bit about the pre-conversation that we had leading us to this point is thinking about specifically the kind of work that Visions has done with universities and in that kind of context. And so I reached out to you being that that's the context that you do your work in, although you're a part-time consultant. One of the things that you shared with me that I thought was really cool was the first time that you used the model 
as a consultant was in an orientation setting. Correct. A couple of years ago, I worked with Deborah Walker and Thomas Griggs to do some cultural sharing activities with the University of North Carolina School of Law. And it was really powerful to see law students in their orientation week share information about one another in a way that helped them to forge relationships early on during the school year. And in fact, I thought that that activity worked so well that I'm also going to utilize it later on this month as a way of sharing cultural information across different demographic groups, students, faculty, and staff here at the University of Pittsburgh School of Law. And we talked a little bit about cultural sharing, and, and we'll come back to the different levels. And so I was wondering if you would mind sharing a little bit about how your experience with cultural sharing really informed change that happened for you around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Is there something that Well, I know up? for me, mm-hmm. yeah, getting in touch with um, how being a first-generation student who um, came from a very rural and working class, poor cultural background has me looking at education in a really meaningful way. I know that as I have told my story, I have gotten a clearer feel for how I've come to value education much in the way that my parents did as a means of transcending socioeconomic status. And that cultural sharing puts me in touch with linking with other people who have had similar backgrounds as well as those who have had different backgrounds, and that's been really powerful. Yeah, one of the things I really like about cultural sharing, too, as I'm thinking about it, is how it totally breaks assumptions up as well, and that sometimes I know when I'm either leading it or participating in cultural sharing that there are similarities that maybe I didn't or wouldn't have assumed were there with certain people and that there was differences with people that I thought, oh, I would have more similarities with. And it really breaks down. Like, I would agree with you. Sometimes. My experience that there, yeah, there are different surprises that emanate from performing that activity. Yeah. And I know even for myself, I always thought of my journey very racially. And then as I started doing the cultural sharing, I started to kind of realize the ways in which religion also shaped some of the assumptions that I caught through practicing the cultural sharing. It's a super powerful tool. I would agree. And one of the things that we also talked about were, and you mentioned it already, staff, students, and faculty. I'm wondering if you could talk about the ways in which you've seen the impact at those three different levels. Yeah, um, I've put together, in cooperation with faculty and students, a strategic plan for equity and inclusion here at Pitt Law School. And as I look for key objectives, they really transcend the various levels. One of these objectives is to increase awareness, understanding, and facilitate skill building regarding matters of equity and inclusion in the greater Pitt Law community. And that results in putting together activities and strategies at the institutional level so that it it helps to lift the entire school of law. For example, with regard to our curriculum, we're being really intentional around our critical assessment of structural injustices, especially in our 1L courses for first-year law students. 
We want to make sure that we include a diversity of perspectives and experiences, which unless you intentionally put into the curriculum, doesn't typically occur because of the way that case books are written. And we also want to be really conscious around counteracting stereotypes that tend to be perpetuated in the law. From a cultural standpoint, doing the activities like the cultural sharing, having lectures around racism and anti-racism really will impact our culture here and to really evoke conversations across cultural identities that haven't historically occurred. And I'm wondering if you could speak to why is it important that the curriculum reflect this, especially you said for L1 or first year students? Yeah, it's really important because um, at least here at our, our university, many of our white and white male students have come from mostly white environments where they're not as conscious of how implicit bias colors, the way that people interact with one another. Certainly there hasn't been the recognition around how structural injustice tends to perpetuate from a socioeconomic and a race standpoint how injustice is meted out to those who are in the historically excluded groups who have been the target of oppression throughout time. And once that awareness is shared among that population. We've seen where people can identify ways that they can be advocates and allies for change. Yeah, it's sort of like giving people a framework of equity and history. And I heard you mention a couple of the different levels, and I can see how the impact of giving this kind of experience to students as they're coming in will or can have a positive impact at the interpersonal level as well as they're having to be in classes that do have diversity in them and and what it means at the interpersonal level to be in relationship across difference. Absolutely. And I heard you talk a little bit about um, the different levels. Could you share with me maybe a little bit more about the personal level and interpersonal level and how some of the programs and things that y'all are thinking about incorporate maybe with some of the vision stuff? I heard you also bring up historically included, historically excluded, which is another model that we teach. Right. Later on in the month of March, we're putting together what we're calling a cultural reflection activity, which will use the fishbowl concept to have different uh, cultural identities speak about their lived experience here at the school. Currently, we're planning to have students with disabilities, the GLBTQ community, and students of color each talk for about 15 minutes in total about their successes things that have been highlights and is positive here at the law school. Those things that are challenges or have been really um, difficulties that they've either had to contend with, have overcome, or are still challenged by. And then finally, we're going to be seeking uh, their recommendations for improvement. You know, what are some things that we can put into our strategic plan as um, activities and actions and strategies to, again, improve improve both the interpersonal experiences across the student body as well as improve the culture of the law school as a whole. And I think we'll have probably about eight students from each of those cultural identity groups speaking, and they'll be on the outside, um, the diversity of the student body, white, black, 
uh, able-bodied, those with disabilities, straight GLBT community, you know, just listening to one another to get a sense of the lived experience. And in terms of creating a frame for having this kind of experience, are you using the guidelines as well? Absolutely. The guidelines have been introduced, um, especially I've got a student advisory council, which is a group of 18 students that are comprised of 1L, 2L, and 3L students that really provide me and the assistant director for equity and inclusive excellence here guidance around what will work well for the students because our age difference is pretty dramatic between the current student body and, and ourselves. So um, using the guidelines as well as feelings as messengers have been really helpful for creating meaningful and transparent dialogue among that group and that translates into the broader student body. And if you had to think about a time where maybe there wasn't guidelines or there wasn't the same kind of structure that we're talking about right now or that you're talking about in terms of creating within the school, what were some of the challenges you were seeing or experiencing? I mean, at this point, you've been using the model, I think, for a while, so maybe you don't have anything coming up for you, but I'm just kind of wondering about that. Well, I know before I was in this role, whenever matters across race occurred that were conflicts, people did not have a way to talk about the incidents in a civil manner, so emotions would run high very quickly. And with the use of social media, there would be negative and antagonistic messages put out into the environment that created a kind of a hostile environment. So we really have benefited from the use of guidelines and, again, practicing feelings as messengers as a way to diffuse those kinds of actions when there are conflicts. Yeah, and I've talked about feelings as messengers in another podcast. If you're interested in learning more, I think it's one of the like first three and it's such an incredible tool for having a process in which the needs that feelings are expressing to us or showing us can be met. And I think that's such a profound and healing process in comparison to ways where there is no container for holding feelings and the ways in which that they then run high and then are used as a way to discount people who are experiencing the oppression. Right. I would agree. And and here in law school, um, many people discount feelings because there's a point of view that feelings don't have a place, say, in the courtroom or in the classroom when we're talking about the law. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to advise our students that, no, just the contrary. The, the more adept that our students can be with regard to feelings and the messages that they send, the better that they can be a peer or a colleague among the student body and a better lawyer in the long run. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that as I think about the ways in which different contexts and schools, you know, churches, governments use the model, I think that that's one of the most beautiful parts of it is that it's about how can you be the best lawyer, right? Like how can you be the best working with church, with clergy people, with lay people, if we're working with schools, how can you be the best teacher? It, the tools are meant to support you in your journey, um, not so much that 
here we're going to tell you how to how to be the right way and i think that's such a value to to schools and to educational centers is to give people tools for processing absolutely and this runs counter to the cultures of many law schools for example and how many people were raised well and i think of like competitive worldview versus cooperative worldview and the way that some of our structures also really lean into having a competitive worldview and i i always like to say that competition is not bad and that in the context of relationships then competition can turn toxic and even often oppressive with better than or less than absolutely dynamics being played out and have you have how have you I agree how have you experienced those kinds of dynamics and creating change in the year that i've been with the students in this role as director of equity and inclusive excellence i've utilized feelings as a way to work through conflicts when especially there have been misses and communication as well as when someone was offended by a statement made by someone else especially when it was kind of outside of awareness mm-hmm. and stopping you know negative processing and stopping negative reactions to the um, protagonist or the person that initially made the comment has been good and, and kind of having a time to, to cool off and work through issues, utilizing guidelines and feelings has been powerful on a number of occasions. And again, it's something that takes practice and it's a way of being and thinking that is not familiar with a lot of our students. So this is certainly new territory that people are, are having to conquer. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm feeling like we've been able to cover a decent amount of work, Vincent. I'm wondering if there's anything else that's coming up for you at the different levels around challenges. And not that it has to we have to name that that challenge has been overcome and that has been overcome because of visions process or anything, but in the academic system, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing? And that maybe people like visions and and other people either are already thinking about or should be thinking about. I know from a um demographic standpoint, we're continually challenged in securing uh diverse racial student body. Unfortunately, we've had a system that has produced students who really, from what we can tell, don't want to become a part of the legal system. You know, they've seen how black people especially have been kind of punished by the legal system. And so I know that we're having a hard time finding young black men who want to be lawyers to change the system. So in my mind, it takes the combination of interpersonal building relationships with undergraduates who may not be thinking about going to law school as a postgraduate focus or target, looking at how students come to know the culture of the legal community. In the city of Pittsburgh, we don't have a diverse group of judges, so the picture of someone who's meeting out judgments with regard to court cases is typically a white man or a white woman. And so there are certain thoughts about who should be a lawyer, who should be a judge that are perpetuated over time. 
And then the city of Pittsburgh does not have a good history of diversity among its um, environment. So we need to ensure that students who come to Pitt Law School know that it's a very supportive community. We've got a really strong Homer S. Brown division of our Allegheny County Bar Association, which does a tremendous amount of work in breaking down stereotypes and ensuring black undergraduates and those who would be attracted to law school see themselves as being successful lawyers in the future. And that takes work, again, across the interpersonal, institutional, and cultural levels. So, so change is occurring, and it's sometimes two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, I, I appreciate you for, for sharing that. And I think it's an important part of the conversation as we think about creating change. It's interesting that the story goes diversity and then it's inclusion and equity. And some places or spaces, organizations found a way to become diverse and didn't move into the inclusion and the equity. And now we have the language of belonging. I agree. And so I just think about how it's important that one, or not that it's important, but I think often organizations have thought of one being first, and it's usually diversity. And I think it's also an important part of the process to try on you know, how do we create inclusion and equity so that when we become more diverse or as we continue to grow in our diversity, people do feel like they belong, feel like this is a place where they're supported and this is a place where they can stay. Often, and this is a part of the story of most organizations, is that happens after there's been some issues, right? Then it's like, oh, how do we think about being Certainly. inclusive or equitable? I agree. And is there anything else that's coming up for you, Vincent, that you would like to add to this conversation? It's certainly a journey, and there is tremendous amount of work to do. I know that given the political climate of the nation as a whole, this is still fertile ground in order to make progress. And so that keeps me really um, energized around you know, keeping change efforts underway, problem-solving, you know, providing folks with the language to work through these issues because it appears to me that, again, given the climate of the country, things are as challenging now as ever. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Vincent. I know that we will keep moving and working forward. I appreciate you sharing not just your journey, but the journey of the spaces that you've gotten to be a part of in terms of, you know, creating your expertise and your voice. Thank you for bringing it to the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Multiculturalism Happens Here. If you found this helpful or resourceful, give us a like, subscribe, a comment, or share. Consider giving to Visions. Visit our website for more information at www.visions-inc.com. That's I-N-C dot org, O-R-G. If you're interested in joining any of our workshops, trainings, or youth summits, you can find more information and registration on Eventbrite. And if you're interested in having us come to you, contact us for more information. I am Isaac Ruelas, wishing you a brand new day and a better way. Peace.